You are listening to the Homeland Heroes Salute, sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation and produced by Dairy Cam. This podcast sometimes deals with mature content that may not be suitable for a younger audience and could be triggering for some individuals. Discretion is advised. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. No views expressed in this podcast represent any of the uniform services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, Dairy Cam, or any other organization. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homeland Heroes Salute. My name is Alyssa, and today we have co-hosting with me, Art Briggs. Hi, Art. How are you today? Great day. Great to be here with you. Thanks for joining us. Art and I are joined today by Jesse Tustin. Hi, Jesse. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining us today as well. Can you share with us in the audience a little about yourself, um, who you are, what branch you served in, your rank, and any fun facts? I am a um, retired Army veteran, medically retired Army veteran, served almost 19 years. I was retired as an E7, which is a sergeant first class. And I deployed to Iraq in 2004 to 2005 and Afghanistan from 2009 to 2010. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of things that define me, but definitely a big part of who I am as a veteran. I'm also a lesbian. Uh, I'm a woman, a strong woman. Um, I'm an advocate. And uh, I'm committed to improving my community and uh, the connections that we have with the people in the community. So basically most of that I inherited from my father. He was an Air Force veteran. He served for 22 years, much of his life. He was a humanitarian and dedicated a lot of time trying to help people in whatever capacity he was capable. And um, I just always admired that trait in him. And I think it was just always a part of who I am. Um, I currently uh, live in Manchester. Um, I am not, I was not born in New Hampshire. I was born in California. And I lived in a couple of different states before we settled in New Hampshire when I was a kid. Um, but I mostly grew up in Nashua. Um, when I joined the service, I was 17 years old. And technically, um, I, I joined through this program. It's called a split-op program. It basically was basic training the summer before you graduate from high school. And then AIT after you graduate high school. And it was through the National Guard. So it was... I had a really hard time my senior year focusing because I didn't want to be there anymore, especially after joining the service. But sure. um, yeah, it, <laughs> there's a lot to why I joined the service. Um, I think a, a big part of it was my father's influence, but also it was like, I knew I wanted to go to college eventually. I wanted to like develop some job skills. I wanted to travel. I've, I've just, 
all the things that a lot of people discuss when they're thinking about joining the service. But I definitely got to help a lot of people when I was in the service, and that's the thing I loved the most about it. When you um, when you were growing up, you said you moved around. How many t- uh, how many times did you move around? So I think we lived in California for about a year before we moved to Florida, and we moved around like six times when we were living in Florida, till we finally moved up to New Hampshire. So I think I was like seven years old when we ended up in New Hampshire. So the most of your time you spent in New Hampshire, but you definitely bounced around before that. How did was that because of his military service? Your father's military service? Yeah, <clears throat> he um, excuse me. Just one second. He started out enlisted. Um, it was during the Vietnam era. And then um, he finished college and commissioned. So I think he had just commissioned after I was born. Uh, and he got his first like commission position in Florida. And that's why we moved to Florida. Neat. But, yeah. How would you say that bouncing around as a child uh, changed your childhood compared to most because that's that's interesting we, we have a lot of veterans on and they talk about their childhood being in the same area but you have a, a unique perspective you were you know seven when your dad retired it sounds like but uh what was it like for you as a young child do you recall moving and what it was like to be a quote air force brat well i don't think i was seven when he retired i think i was like closer to 13 but he was stationed at Hanscom by the time he retired. And yeah, it did. Um, it definitely changed my perception, I guess, of what life was about. It gave me, I guess, a, a more of a, an appreciation of the fact that life doesn't sit still. Things change all the time. People come in and out of your life no matter what. And it just helped me learn to adjust to that at a younger age. I think it was a good thing. And it helped me appreciate traveling. Like we got to see so much of the countryside um, just driving up from Florida to New Hampshire as a kid. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you're talking about your father retiring, did he have a retirement ceremony? Yes, he did. And uh, so for the people in the audience, like that, that have never seen somebody that's gone you know, 20 plus years and, and they have this retirement ceremony, you're 13 years old. Uh, you're watching your father be honored uh, in, in, a, in probably a pretty incredible way. What was it like to watch that from your perspective? For me, I think it was hard to process because I didn't fully understand how much it meant to him at the time. Like I knew it was important we had family come in from like California to, to be there for the ceremony. And um, it was all these people I'd never really met before um, that were in his unit. Like he was just kind of always kept his unit at a distance from us as a family. Like, so I kind of felt disconnected from the people that were in his unit. I didn't really feel I didn't, I didn't really have a lot of emotion about it, but um, looking back older now and, and reflecting on it, I, I can definitely um, see like how important it was to them. Cause I know um, after talking with both my parents uh, and as an adult, I later found out that he didn't want to retire. My mom kind of 
backed him into a corner and said, you retire or we get a divorce. Um, so yeah. it, and they ended up getting a divorce anyways, but at the time it was, like I said, I just, my father always kind of kept us at a distance when he was in the service and he kept his, his military experience like at a distance from us as well. So never really felt like I knew a lot about what was going on, but we definitely connected mm. at a much better um, level as he got older. I always teased him. I said, you're like fine wine. You get better with age. So, <laughs> yeah. So has he been, so he served in Vietnam um, and didn't really talk, seems like he didn't really talk a lot when you were younger about his service. Is that something he talks to you now that you're older and he's older? Um, well, unfortunately, my dad passed away March 8th of 2015. Oh. And before he had passed away, he had talked a little bit about his experience my dad was stationed during Vietnam. He was stationed in Guam and Thailand. Um, so he technically never went into Vietnam, but he was supporting the mission. And he, um, he didn't really talk much about his experience. He was kind of tight-lipped about it. But I, I feel like he, it was a big part of why he was the way he was. He was just kind of like emotionally disconnected a lot. When I was a kid, trying, I never made that connection because I was too young to understand that. So you did uh, a split up. So you went to basic training prior to your senior year in high school. So at 13 or 9, you move into Nashua or Manchester, and you're spending time in this smaller community after being throughout the country. And you have your three or four or, or five years uh, before basic training. And then you go to basic training. You, you kind of re-engage into the military environment. It's, it's got to be almost like a, a homecoming, but kind of, kind of scary at the same time because you're 17. What was it like for you as a high school student entering the military? What was your thought process going in when you talked to the recruiter? What were you looking for? And uh, what were the promises made? <laughs> um, so I didn't, I definitely didn't go in um, and I wasn't blindsided. I kind of knew what to expect because I have other relatives that served. Like my grandpa was a Korean and Vietnam veteran, Bronze Star uh, recipient. And my Aunt June served in the army. My uncle Andre was in the army. So when I decided I was, I was going to do this, I talked to all of them and I just kind of got a little feedback from them. But honestly, it's like part of my personality. I've always been a um, adventure seeker, goal getter, um, fearless, like in some situations where I shouldn't be, but I am anyways. Um, so I, I, you know, I didn't have uh, unrealistic expectations. I knew from talking to people that you can't believe recruiters because they'll say whatever it takes to get you in the system. But um, yeah, when I joined, uh, I went to basic, it was like June of 95. And I went through the MEPS down in Boston 
And they had to go through the whole process, which was pretty miserable, but not surprising to me. And it was funny because like the night before they shipped us out, we were all staying in this hotel and everyone was just acting like, you know, wild animals that had just been released. And like they knew they were not going to have any freedom once we got (laughs) to basic. And I um, thought it was hilarious. But for me, like I, um, they told me originally that I qualified for a lot of different positions because I had a, a really good score on my ASVAB and I was a decent student like I always underestimated my academics when I was a kid because I struggled with reading and I had to stay back in first grade so I was always a year older than everyone in my class so it was a it was kind of a strange experience because I always felt like I was I was a little bit more mature than everyone else in my class but not confident in my book smarts but anyway so I finished basic through Fort Leonard Wood. When I went to basic, <laughs> um, the first thought I had as soon as like I got off the buses, I'm like, oh, this is going to suck. Just like they told me, like my Aunt June was like, yeah, it's it's definitely pretty miserable the first few weeks. And then they start to like loosen up the reins a little bit. And, um, and she was right. But um, I loved it. Like, I felt like I thrived under pressure because I've always kind of been that kind of kid. Like the more pressure you put me under, the better I do. And it ended up, I ended up being the platoon guide for most of basic training. Um, We just had a lot of, like, we were six months in to the first fully integrated male and female basic training. So we had males on the same floor as the females. And our, our rooms were like across the hall from each other. So it was really interesting to see how things were done because I think they were still trying to figure out how to make it work. And um, the biggest thing that they tried to make sure everybody understood was there was no fraternizing. Um, and we were there to focus on basic training and not to flirt. But there was, of course, there was a lot of people we're young and, and, you know, interested in each other. And um, so there was, there was a lot of uh, relationships that were being developed, but nothing that, you know, you could get fully intimate with because they were literally on our tails, like 24 seven, like there was just no breathing. We were lucky if we had a a couple minutes to take a shower. So. In 1995, you're 17 years old. You're in army basic training. And after basic training, you, you differentiate, you, you go a different route. You go back home and you're a soldier, but you're also a senior in high school. I, yeah. I just kind of, I can't even, I can't even imagine the way that your worldview shifted. It, I mean, in some ways it had to have shifted a complete 180. And then in other ways, like you are a young woman at that point and you're, you're, you, you have normalcy of being a 17 year old. Talk about what it was like to be the person that's been through basic training over the summer break. So technically I was 18 when it went to basic because it was six months after I enlisted and I had already gone to six drills for the guard before I went. So they were trying to mentally prepare me before I went to basic. And then when I came back, yeah, I had this huge mind shift. 
and was completely annoyed by most of the kids in high school. Um, fortunately, I only had to take four classes a semester to graduate, and I was working and playing sports because I was um, on the high school soccer team, um, and I played basketball for the high school. But um, the weird thing that happened, like the big thing that happened for me was I got really tired of the way my homestead was. It was just my mother, me, and my two youngest brothers. And um, my mom and I kept fighting. Like we just kept butting heads because she was working third shift and sleeping all day and wanting me to like basically raise my brothers. And I was just like antsy, like I got stuff to do. I need to be out. I need to like get away. I need to vent. Like, I just didn't want to be stuck at home watching my freaking brothers. So my brother Joe is about a year and 10 months younger than me. And my brother Jared is six years younger than me. And they, they could take care of themselves. Like, at least that's what I thought when I was 18. And, um, I was just like, no, I, this isn't my job. I shouldn't be a parent. And um, we fought so much to the point where she kicked me out. And I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to graduate high school because I'm like, well, I guess I'll just find an apartment somewhere to live. And then a good friend of mine, Jason, his mother um, asked me to come over. And she was like, hey, I heard about what happened. Tell me what's going on. And I was like, look, I just, I need to be able to, to be me. Like I'm too old to be dealing with um, all of this like ridicule from my mother and her trying to force me to watch my brothers. Like it was just, it was too much. Like I'm not a parent. I should be learning how to be an adult. And she, and I came to this agreement where I could live with her, finish school work, as long as I like, I had a beeper at the time, which makes me laugh now when I think about it. <laughs> She's like, as long as you respond whenever I paid you, that's fine, you know? And she she had me pay her a very small amount of rent. But I always thought it was sweet because at the end of the week, she'd be like, on Friday, she'd be like, so what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, do you want pizza? I'm like, sure. She'd take the money out of the jar where I'd put my rent and use that money to buy the pizza for us. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I always called her my adopted mom. Those relationships, those relationships are very impactful. I think it. Absolutely. Um, Sue had been there for me long before this situation. Yep. Um, I had a lot of like traumatic stuff happen to me when I was a teenager and she helped me work through it because she's also a reverend and a counselor. And then she was also a college professor. Oh, wow. Um, just this beautiful, powerful woman with the most soothing voice. Like, I always said she reminds me of Maya Angelou. Okay. Um, and it was funny because we would go to, like, events together, and she would introduce me as her other daughter. <laughs> people, people would give, like, a second look because she's Black. And, <laughs> and, and she'd be like, no, she's my, she's my other daughter, you know, <laughs> like, um, but I loved it. I loved it when she did that. Cause she liked getting a little shock factor from people. I love that. Yeah. 
but um, she she's incredible. Like we still keep in touch. Um, she was down in Virginia now, I think. Um, and I I still keep in keep in touch with that whole family because they were so supportive um, all throughout my life, but especially my senior year in high school. So yeah, it was really hard. No. A, a tough senior year. That is beautiful. Uh, when I think about that that time period in your life, I I have to ask from an athletic standpoint. Like I, I imagine going through Army boot camp. What changed in your academics? What changed in your and I, and and that being said, I understand that you had a whole bunch of obviously uh, logistical problems with where you're living, relational problems with your mom, and the sweet family that took you in. Uh, how did you fare after learning so much in Army boot camp, athletically and academically? So I skipped a lot of school my senior year. Um, I pissed <laughs> off the, the principals a lot, and I, um, I got into some arguments with some teachers because my biggest thing was, like, you know, you can't treat me as a kid. I'm 18 years old. I turned 19 my senior year, in the middle of my senior year. I was like, um, I'm not living at home, so I don't need a note from my freaking mother. So I'll write my own note for you. And it would irritate the crap out of them. <laughs> and I remember, I remember going into a math class one day and this um, teacher, she was so like, just so judgmental and rude all the time. And I don't remember what I like what she said to me that just totally triggered me, but I lost my shit on her. And I pretty much called her every nasty freaking word you can think of in a very short span of time. And she sent me to the principal's office and because she was asking me for a freaking note. And I was like, I don't need a damn note. You know, like you can't treat everyone the same way. That was the problem I was having. It's like, you can't treat us all the same when you're in high school. Everybody's got their own thing they're going through. So when I went to see the principal, you know, like they knew I wasn't a troublemaker. They were like, this isn't like, you know, normal for you. We don't see this as like a normal behavior. We've never had to suspend you before, but we're going to have to put you in. It was like in-house suspension for like a week or something. And I remember going, going to suspension and the, and the substitute teacher that was in there was like, what the hell are you doing in here? <laughs> and I told him and he was like, well, and he didn't want to like condone what I did, but it, you know, I definitely had some justification. Maybe the approach was wrong, but you know, it was, the anger was appropriate. And, um, and he's like, all right, well, you need to like focus on what we're doing here, but I don't want to see you back here again. I mean, I got, I got into a few altercations in high school because I was always that tough jock um, that for whatever reason, I just, I was the protector of a lot of people. So my friends would come to me and be like, hey, so-and-so wants to kick my ass. Can you please like help me out with this? <laughs> And I'd be like, oh, well, who is it? You know, like, obviously I'm going to jump on that because it's an opportunity to like kick someone's ass, but I never wanted to start a fight. I just, I wanted to make sure my friends didn't get their asses kicked. I just, I had this, it was funny because in the middle of my senior year, I remember we were sitting outside because it was at Nashville High. We were sitting outside 
waiting for the bell to ring because lunch was almost over. And I'm standing there with some of my friends who are like really artsy, creative people. Um, and all of a sudden I see this kid who happened to be a brother of a friend of mine started throwing peanut M&Ms at my friends and hitting them in the face with them. And I got pissed and I got right up in his face and I was like, what the fuck do you think you're doing? And he's like, well, I can do whatever the fuck I want. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's the case. I'm like, you need to to knock it off or I'm going to do something about it. He's like, oh, well, I'll get my sister after you. I'm like, "Uh, your sister and I are friends. That's not going to work out in your favor. (laughs) And he just kept talking shit. And then the bell rang and it was like, I couldn't help myself. There was so many people standing around and watching. There was no teachers visible. I just bitch slapped him with the back of my hand as hard as I could. And you literally could see like spit flying across the freaking um, cafeteria. And everyone in the crowd was like, oh, and he just looked at me with a shocked face. And I was like, don't ever fucking do that shit again. And I turned around and walked away. And I just thought like, well, got away with it. Nobody said anything to me. I never got in trouble for it. And then it was hilarious because like, it was probably like six months later, I took my car into the shop to get like some small repairs done. And there was this guy in there and he's like, Hey, Hey, you're that girl. And I'm like, what, what girl, what are you talking about? He's like, you're that girl that, that bitch slapped that guy in front of everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Oh yeah, I did that. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I tried to forget, but I did. I had, I had some anger issues that I was working through my senior year um, just because of all the stuff that I was dealing with and trying to grow up too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was living in Washington state at the time. So he wasn't really able to like provide any support. And he was always very distant until I got older, until I deployed to Iraq actually. Oh, wow. um, so, you know, it was a tough senior year, but um, there was some really good things that happened too that helped me grow up. Things and, that really defined who you are today by the yeah, sound. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the other That's things be... I was going to say, one of the other things I was struggling with my senior year was my sexuality and not knowing um, like how to define myself or like if I needed to put myself in a category at the time. Like I just, I didn't, I wasn't interested in anyone, but mm-hmm. I knew like I was attracted to women. So I was like having a really hard time with it because I also wanted to be in the military and it was during don't ask, don't tell. So there was a lot of processing going on there too. Um, and the struggle to like figure out like, what, what am I going to do? Am I going to be able to stay in the military? If I decide I, I want to be gay, like, am I going to be fully out? Like, how am I going to deal with that? Absolutely. Um, so was, that was hard, too. What what a what a terrible like mixture of situations. So if I if I can understand what you're saying right, you're eighteen, nineteen, post basic training, proving yourself as as an adult, and kicked out of your mom's house, living with a friend, and fighting at school, and having issues with authority and. And and now you're you're like trying to identify like is it okay to be uh, true to who I am, 
inside of yourself? Like, is that something that you're able to share with the Reverend? Is that something you're able to share with friends or is that something that's all isolated inside of you as a, as a individual person? I stuffed most of that down. There was only like a couple of friends that I had talked to about it, like really near and dear close friends that I had my senior year um, that knew that I at least was like admitting I was bisexual at the time. Um, and they loved me no matter what. And it made me feel safe and comfortable talking about it. But I was not at all comfortable talking about it with anybody else. I do remember before my mom kicked me out, she like, I remember her walking into my room one morning because um, she was trying to find out like what I was up to that day. And my friends um, were in the bed with me and we were all snuggling. I was like in the middle of the bed and they both had their head on my chest my mom opened the door and it was almost like she had this shocked look on her face and she was like uh so what are you what are you doing today <laughs> she didn't know what to say and it was like there was nothing going on <laughs> just laying there and and i was like i don't know i'm still waking up like i like she didn't know this but i was like drunk and i had gotten stoned the night before and i was just like fully recovering from whatever we went through the night before and I was just like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing today. And then later on that day, she pulls me aside and she's like, um, are, are you a lesbian? Are you sleeping with your friends? And I was like, no, I'm not. Like, what are you talking about? Like, there was nothing sexual happening with any of my friends. And she was just like already kind of had the idea, kind of thought there was something. But I wasn't there yet. I wasn't ready. So... How, how, Jesse, how important would you say those confidants, those friends were in your senior year to be able to, to talk about uh, what you were feeling and, and not be isolated? How important was those connections to humanity as you processed your sexuality? I don't think I would have survived my senior year without them, honestly. Um, like my sister and I, she's, my sister's five years older than me and she was living in Texas and she was my best friend. And so she moved away and she wasn't available the way she used to be. Like I used to spend so much time with her. So it was a, it was a big adjustment when she moved away. I think I was um, 15 when she moved away. So my senior year was like my friends, Liz and Liz, they were both in the art honor society with me. They were the president and the vice president. And we, we would spend as much time together with each other as possible. Like we, we just loved being around each other and enjoyed each other's company. But I don't, honestly, I don't know if I would have gotten through that senior year without them and without Sue taking me in. Um, I don't think I would be where I'm at now. I don't think I would have done as well in my military career. Just, I think it had a tremendous effect on the ability for me to work through all that stuff. Like it gave me the opportunity to develop some sort of foundation to work through it. That's so good. I hope your friends are able to hear that incredible honor that you just gave them. All right. Thank you for joining us for the first part of Jesse's story. For part two, tuning to the next episode of the Homeland Heroes Salute. This podcast is brought to you 
by the Homeland Heroes Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org. Thank you to our production team at DairyCam, creating connection through story for a better world. Learn more by visiting dairycam.org. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Harris Salute wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs>